You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live Portraits. Featuring intimate, in-depth interviews with Black Hollywood stars and influencers. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live Portraits, Dario Kristen. Hey everybody, you're watching Black Hollywood Live Portraits. I'm your host, Dario Kristen, and here joining me in the studio today is Courtney Stewart. Hello, everybody. DJ Jesse J. What up? And our very special guest, you know him. He has paved the way for so many African Americans in the entertainment community. Mr. Bill Duke is with us today. Welcome, welcome. Yes, welcome. Thank you for, thank you for thank joining us. Thank you for having us. me. Thank you. Now, you have just been in this business for such a long time, just 40 say, years. Should I say I'm old? No, I'm saying <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're, right. no, I have. I have you're 40 years young so. in the business. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> and you recently just received an award. Uh, you received the Lifetime Achievement Tribute from the Directors Guild of America. Yes, thank you. And some of those people who have joined your ranks are Steven Spielberg, Alfred Hitchcock, and Clint Eastwood. Now, how did it feel to actually get this, this award, this achievement? Well, it, it was a sense of um, appreciation uh, and um, a sense of, like, how can I say, to see your fellow colleagues support you in that way is really, really great. Um, and so I, I really felt good about it and um, got a lot of good support and had a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was good. Now, when you, you say you had a lot of fun. What did you do? What Did you celebrate in a certain way? Well, I have certain people in my life uh, that uh, enjoy making fun of me. <laughs> uh, and one of them is, uh, I've been friends with him for 30 years, Garrett Morris, the comedian, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the original Anna, um, sorry, Night Live. Yeah. yeah. And he came to supposedly support me for the evening <laughs> and made fun of me all evening and said things um, uh, like um, he said that... Uh, I reminded him of his, himself uh, because his girlfriend, who is in her 30s, and he's like 72, um, asked him uh, to please run upstairs and let's make love. Wow. And he said, sweetheart, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So which one did he pick? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was gonna be my question. <laughs> that was my question. I, I can't get into that. I can't really get into that. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, That's off of that, I mean, you're put up with legends, and you get that title. What what is that feeling like to kind of look at? Do you ever look at yourself as that, or do you? You know, what does it feel like to be amongst these? people who you guys have paved the way yeah well it feels good in the sense that um i'm glad to uh, that god has blessed me with being here for this period of time and having my health and mind body and spirit and that um that to be still res be respected for my work i'm extremely appreciative of that but um at the same time my mission is to continue to grow mm-hmm uh, I think Malcolm X said it best. He said, no matter how good a, 
football player you are, if the name of the game is baseball, you better get yourself a bat. <laughs> and uh, for me, um, really um, seeing how my industry has changed from film and TV to media has been a very educational and enlightening experience, like this wonderful program you have here. Uh, this is not something that would have existed 25 years ago. That's true. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you guys are coming into it at a time where it is at, you know, just emerging. And I look at um, things like a game, uh, Grand Theft <coughs> Auto, making $1 billion. It's crazy. In three to four days. Yeah. No film has ever done that. Right. If I look at the fact that uh, Netflix put out a program called House of Cards that for $100 million made its money back with a profit. Now they're doing another one. Um, and then they have a new hit coming out also. It's just that, you know, I'm looking at the opportunities that exist. Yeah. And my company is trying to shape itself in that direction rather than relying on the old paradigm of my um, past, you know, rewards and experiences. But really getting into what you guys are into now and trying to serve a market that reflects your interest also. And how do you kind of like keep the uh, a lot of networks don't want to they they're kind of being stubborn and moving forward into technology. How do you where was your kind of like aha moment of well wait, yes, I've learned so much in the past, but I can take that and what is becoming of the future and kind of build an empire. Well, when I see the success of others and um, I, I look at it from not a rejectionary point of view, but from an inclusionary point of view. In other words, I want to get be a part of that. It's not mm -hmm. like, you know, um, I don't understand it, so it's bad, or get rid of it. I want to keep, no matter what's going on, I keep want to go this way. I think that that's a formula for failure and decay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I believe that you... First of all, uh, I, I, I kind of know my lane, so to speak. So I surround myself, if I'm interested in doing something, I surround myself with people who know more about what I'm doing than I do. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be, excuse the use of this word, the H-N-I-C, so to speak. <laughs> um, if, I mean, as long as it gets accomplished, as long as we meet the goal, grow, and not only in terms of a project, but a brand yeah. that incorporates all the elements of media. Uh, I share things because we're all moving in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. We're not maintaining a status quo. So when I see people, like when I see Steven Spielberg and George Lucas sit down and on the Huffington Post talk about the implosion, they use the word implosion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of this industry potentially in the next four or five years, I think we should be listening. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's not just two guys saying it. Mm -hmm. right. It's George Lucas yeah. <laughs> and Steven Spielberg must know something. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how do you, that that's their impression of you know what's going to happen in the business based on your experience and what you're doing with WorkWise in the new media movement. What's your sort of prognosis or how you see it or where do you see it going in the next five to ten years? Well, uh, I think that the television and the computer are going to get married. Yeah. I think that the thing that is not yet being um, spoken about as loudly as it should be 
is mobile TV. Mm -hmm. I think mobile TV, and I may be wrong, but I because but Zynga now is in the mobile TV business, as you know. Um, I, I think I think it's the future because um, I just came back not long ago from Ghana. Uh, people have shacks. Yeah. Um, there's wealth in shacks and wealth in shacks. Beautiful country, beautiful people. Um, but in a country of 30 million people, there is one theater complex. Wow. wow. For one. 30 million people, <laughs> there is one theater complex. That's crazy. But I can Guess what everybody has? Phones. Cell phones. Cell phones. So if you cannot reach them on a TV, which they do not have, if you cannot reach them through a theatrical uh, portal, you can reach them through their phone. Mm -hmm. And so my focus is how do we begin to create content that can be distributed in format that you can actually digest on that device and hopefully own your own channel as you do it. Yeah. That's... <laughs> And, I mean, there's so many people who don't take advantage of, of other things in their business. Like, they, there are some actors who are just actors and they just want to be actors only. You seem to have always been moving forward with, your, with knowing what the future holds. Has that always been your personality? Has you taken on these things in your life outside of just acting? Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't know, a little crazy in a way, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm a perfectionist, so I'm never satisfied with what I... If I, It's almost like when I go see my movies that I've directed, you know, I, I sit in the back of the theater in the last row, and I appreciate the audience's response, but I can always see something I could improve. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, it, how, what how they applaud and love it, I, I appreciate they're loving it, but I can always... I know if I had more time to do that, that I could do a better job. So in terms of these new challenges and new possibilities. I, I mean, I'm not, how can I say, I, I'm not saying I'm going to be the best of everything, mm -hmm. but what I want to do to be the best at what I can do with this new portal. And one thing I know how to do is to create quality content for a price. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think. And today there are two types of content that are making dollars. Um, one is, uh, I'm talking about big screen now, uh, one is um, ins inspiration. Hmm. If I see somebody going through something that reminds me of myself and that person reminds me of myself and they're going through something worse than what I'm going through and through an internal strength or something external that they bring to them enables them to transcend what the obstacle is, um, that can remind me of me and gives me hope, so I'll pay you for that. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is escape. Superman 10, Star Wars 8, uh, <laughs> Batman 25. <laughs> if you can take me away from the kids... <laughs> the bills and all my worries for an hour and a half and take me into ghoulism or space or whatever and I can just escape my worries for 90 minutes yeah. I will pay you for that <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a smart move. Where did you kind of get your... What what helped you in your upbringing kind of prepare you mentally for this business? Was family? Um, did, were they supportive of you? Well, you're talking about a time when I, I came up where um, the blacks in this industry were Sidney Poitier, Paul Robeson, um, Harry Belafonte maybe, um, Bill Cosby, a f- Amos and Andy, mm-hmm. um, a few others. But, you know, when I thought about being an actor, my, my, my parents just thought I was that they're um, doing something with uh, alcohol or something. <laughs> something, is, you know, because it wasn't pragmatic. Right. Mm-hmm. And they <coughs> had second and third grade educations. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted me not to be in the same position they were in. They worked hard. They never took welfare or anything, but they worked two and three jobs. And they wanted my sister and I to have something better. So that in those days, they didn't ask us, you're going to be a doctor. So I took um, these um, physiology and biology classes, cutting up cats and wow. frogs and, and squalosacanthias and all this stuff. And I had formaldehyde smell in my room, going through veins and stuff. And I you know, I love doctors, and but this is not for me. <laughs> this is not for me. And uh, then um, I was a very tall and awkward kid and very introspective. I had to take my ideas and write them down on a, in a book I, that finally became plays and stuff. And so I'd say, you're writing all the time, so you want well, just go and be a teacher. Teachers always make money. I went to Boston University, got a scholarship there, uh, and... Um, True story, I fell asleep for the third time in my Chaucer class. I just, <laughs> old English, I, 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 you know, it was like beyond me. <laughs> and so um, my roommate, Israel Hicks, said, you know, I've always been talking about, you know, theater and acting. Why don't you go try it up? So I did, and there was a man named Lloyd Richards, who was one of, who was, he was a pioneer. He was the first black director on Broadway with a play called um, Lorraine Hansberry's Raisin of the Sun. Mm-hmm. And he let me in the program, and this is not a pretty sight, but two months later, I was dancing across the floor in ballet tights. I, I'm so glad that no YouTube... I just imagined no, 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 all of a Don't think about it. Don't, <laughs> don't put that image in your mind, even, please. It was not pretty. But, um, and I followed him to New York, and he became my mentor. And, and then I followed him out here to Los Angeles, and he, 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 was, he was the one who said, you know, who saw something in me I did not see. And because of Lloyd Richards, I, I was able to do a lot of things I, I ended up doing. And what was your road like from going from school to Broadway to Hollywood? Well, from school, um, it was like, um, I, I, I was very fortunate. Um, I graduated from NYU School of the Arts, and then Lloyd gave my first job at the place called the Negro Ensemble Company. At those mm-hmm. times, those days, there weren't many. <clears throat> there was the Ellen Stewart Theater, Woody King's Theater, one uptown, and the Negro Ensemble, which was the biggest one. And Lloyd gave me my first job as an actor there. And uh, <clears throat> and so it was. And then I got a, a show um, on Broadway with Melvin Van Peebles, mm-hmm. Ain't Supposed to Die Natural Death. And uh, that was a great thing for me because it gave me confidence in myself, really, as an actor professionally. And then Lloyd said he needed a 
assistant out in L.A., and I came with him, and I became a, his assistant here. He said, stay. And then I was very fortunate, and I got, you know, um, Car Wash and other films and American... Classic. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. American Gigolo, others, and and then um, Predator and some other... Then I got... Um, became co-star of... Um, was uh, It was a television series and Palmerstown USA Palmerstown. and I thought hey pff, I've made it you know um, the show was over and after the show was over I did not work for two years because they had a thing called TVQ mm-hmm. they said you were overexposed I could not get a job really? that, and that really how can I say if I had any ego it leveled it believe me <laughs> and um so I was the. I saw. I said, you know, I gotta do something. I've always been thinking about directing. I so I applied to the American Film Institute. Got in. And uh, Tony Vallani, who was the head at that time, really was a great teacher, and I really learned a lot about film and technology of filmmaking, and it really fed me a great deal. And and I was able to shape it into a craft for myself. But here's the thing that I think you'll find interesting. Um, I made a film there called called The Hero. And it was um, a short film. It won some awards. And I said, wow, it won some awards. I went to every studio, every network to try to get my first job. Everybody said, no, I'll give you your second job. And I got depressed again. And I went away. To, I, I'm, I do transcendental meditation. So I went to a meditation retreat. I was there for a week. My agent calls me and says, Bill, you got to come back to L.A. right away. David Jacobs at Knott's Landing wants to talk to you. Mm. So I come back, I drive back. When I say drive back, I got back, I don't know, five minutes, it felt like. <laughs> but I, I went, I went, we went, and the next Monday I went to David Jacobs' office, and, and we talked. I said, he said, thank you very much. Agent calls the next day, says, David Jacobs wants you to do an episode of Not Landing. I was, I called everybody I knew. It was wonderful. I prepped for a week, and Joel Wallenstein, who was the producer, uh, came to my office, uh, the, um, Friday before I was supposed to shoot on Monday and said, hey, Bill, great prep, but I knew you were going to do it because I could tell by your reel. And I said, oh, real? I said, Joe, what reel? I said, well, the reel that you know from your other shows. I said, I just got an AFI. He said, wait a minute. He goes into David Jacobs' office. David Jacobs had mixed up my box with somebody else's. Oh. <laughs> Why? It's a true story. <laughs> so they were looking at Something totally Something different. Totally different. different. And another person, really. And so what happened was they followed me for three days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. When I, they saw what I could do, they let me do it. And I came back to do many more Knott's Landings. But it's, you know, it's, 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 it wasn't me. It was something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you've also have so many different things from television to film. You've been in Commando and Predator and and uh, Minister Society. Uh, you worked very closely with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he also had appointed you during his time as governor as the California State Film Co- on the California State Commission Board. What's your relationship like with Arnold? Are you guys still pretty pretty close? Uh, well, you know, if I call him, he'll take my calls and stuff, but I'm not, we're not, like, tight buddies anymore or anything like that, you know. Mm. Uh, but I respect him greatly. Uh, as a human being, um, he... Uh, was always uh, humble 
you know, he at the top of his career, like, you know, during Predator or whatever, you know, um, you could talk to this person. Um, the thing that uh, Arnold said one time to, we were talking, and we were talking about what did, what did he tell his children? He said, one, he said, stay hungry. <laughs> stay hungry. Never be satisfied with what you've accomplished. Stay hungry. And um, I, I just respect him. I really do. And how was your time working with the board? <laughs> uh, how can I say this? Um, he appointed Clint Eastwood, Danny DeVito, and myself. We used to go up to Sacramento a lot. And we'd sit down and we'd have lunches and conferences and all that. Because our thing was let's keep Hollywood here Let, let's let's keep the jobs here let's you know give incentives that will compete with other states etc and then we go back to LA and nothing would ever happen mm -hmm. and then we learned that the attitude was well we're not going to give um, we're not going to give Tom Cruise any more money and and we're saying wait a minute it's the people the credits after the movie is over. They vote for you. These are, and there was no understanding that of how important it was to begin to create incentives that kept films here. And as a result, uh, if you look at the films that are made here, I just came back uh, earlier this year from Louisiana. Um, there were film crews on almost every corner. Yeah. And I, I met some of the guys in the crew, and and one third of the crew was from L.A. When I say from L.A., they had moved their families to Louisiana, and they work all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, what is it that we don't get? And that's what, and that's why I left. The, I mean, after Arnold left, we all left. But it was extremely frustrating because there was not a lot of understanding of the importance of keeping film here. And it was, was it more because of the it's cheaper to produce the films in other places that people were leaving and kind of doing these other productions? I know that they say Canada's, you know, a lot of things were shot there, and and like as you mentioned, Louisiana is that one of the core reasons of why people were? Well, the the core reason now is that there are things called uh, state tax incentives, which means that in let's say uh, Georgia. You say you go to Atlanta and you're going to shoot a television show or a film there, okay? And you spend a dollar. For every dollar you spend using their crews, etc., you probably get 32 to 34 cent back on that dollar. So imagine you're making a 10 million dollar film, right? And you get 34 cents back, 34 percent of that back. That's Hollywood to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's no loyalty to a particular demographic. and I mean, a, a, a geographic place, it's the best deal. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And our tax incentive is like, and it's a lottery system of like 20 cents or 22 cents. And and it's, it's really um, sad because most of us would rather stay home here, go to our own bed, stay with our, you know, people we love, our children or whatever. But you got to ship yourself out and stay in a hotel for sometimes three months, pre-production, production, post-production, post and um, we don't get it. Do you see that trend possibly reversing at any point, or is it sort of, do you feel like it's sort of lost for Hollywood? 
I don't like to be a pessimist, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, but Sharon Jimenez uh, has an organization with Corky Kessler called uh, Bring Hollywood Home. And, and I'm on one of the board members. We're, we're trying to bring a consciousness. We're trying to say, don't you understand? <laughs> Listen, cleaning, cleaners, restaurants, transportation. I mean, you, you bring other people in, stars from... I mean, hotels all gain from movies being shot here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, why it's not understood, to be very honest with you, I don't know. But there are various attempts being made to bring a certain consciousness and awareness um, to our industry and to the state that says, hey, you know, we're talking about job loss, etc., you know, suppose you're a politician and you want to say, hey, you know, I'm bringing jobs to the state. Bring films here. But there's not a... An not a so I'm, not, I'm not saying it's hopeless. No. But I'm saying... Um, I'm not saying I'm pessimistic. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have so many specialties. I mean, you're you're like... You're a writer, you're a director, you're an actor, you're a producer. You've worked with several different directors, and, and such as the Hughes Brothers when we were mentioning Menace to Society. What was it like working on that film as you were in the process, too, of, of really honing your craft as a director and, and working with other directors? What was it like for you on that, on that set? Well, it was wonderful. I mean, those guys are very creative. It's very collaborative, very respectful. They really love working with actors, and they allow you... They, they give you... Uh, well, you have the lines, but they get, they give you the, the the basic format of what they want. But they allow you the respect of using your own creative abilities, mm -hmm. and as a result, they don't lock you into a box. They say, "Okay, you know, you know what we want. Give us your best shot at it." And so your creative juices flow because you know you're respected. You're, you're as an actor, as an artist, you're respected. Yeah. And so. Um, the scene, don't say the line, but, <laughs> but the scene in, in, in the... In the <laughs> I already know where this is going. I'm just saying, I'm saying. <laughs> in, in, in that scene, you know, they allowed us to really make it real for ourselves. Yeah. And, and it was wonderful, you know. Really great working with them. And uh, did you... I know that you tend to have been a detective or play cops in, in the industry. Were you ever nervous about being pigeonholed into a certain character or not having the opportunity to kind of get out of that positioning as an actor? Yes, um, yes. Uh, but when I first started, you know, it was very difficult because um, big, tall, black person, male, um, threatening, mean, whatever the interpretation of that is, uh, you're put in certain categories. Like the tough guy category. Tough guy, you know. and uh, uh, So sometimes your humanity is not recognized in a certain way. But for me, thank God, I there was directing and producing and writing too. Mm -hmm. So I would like to have, you know, had more expansion in terms of my career as an actor and still would like it. But I'm not depending upon acting. I'm, 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 I've become more of a business person, which mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm not creative, but... 
I've been forced to see this as a business. I mean, really look at it from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you start thinking about things in that way, it's you realize that you know the dollar has wings and you have boots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so you try to you know, a whole different <laughs> game. That's right. What? what you, oh, good. What was it like the transition from directing film to going into kind of television for you? Well, I started out in television actually, and and went to film. And television prepared me because in television, for an hour series, you have seven days of prep, and you have seven days of shooting. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And so, whatever you're going to do, whatever genius thing you're going to create, you have a budget. And and what you learn is that directing is two has two aspects. One's the creative. But the most important, if you're going to survive and work as a director, is the management part. And it's the manager of three things, time, people, and money. Mm. If you can manage time, people, and money, uh, you have a good chance of working as a director if you have a creative vision also. So being in TV just taught me, you know, if I want to take a fifth shot, a piece of coverage, uh, good idea, but you got to finish four scenes today. And so as a, a feature director, I have more money and more time, but I'm always focused on making my day, mm -hmm. making sure I don't go over budget, and that's been helpful to me. Is there one that you find more challenging, acting versus directing, or one you prefer? Hmm, that's a good question. I... Well, they're both extremely challenging in the sense that, um, as I say, directing is, you have a vision, and that you work with a writer, and you work with actors to take that vision and put it on screen, and you sit in the back of the theater, and you hope people like it, you know, and you see all your flaws and mistakes, and but people respond, they laugh, or they cry, or whatever, and that's extremely rewarding, so... But the organization, you're talking with sometimes a couple hundred people you're organizing, you're talking about crews and staff and a lot of things you're responsible for. It's, 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 it's a real responsibility. So you surround yourself with other managers to get that done. But the conclusion and result of it is if you make a good film, it's wonderful. Yeah. Acting um, is a whole other, it's just you on you. Yeah. It's it's I call acting a sacred craft because it's after you have the blocking and after all the lines you've memorized you have, then you have to be in front of a camera. And people don't want to see the lines. They want to see the human being that the writer has described. And in order to do that, at some point, you have to come to the key point of acting, which is surrender. Mm -hmm. That goes beyond your intellect, beyond your ego. Something, I don't know if I can describe it even. Um, you have to, my lady says, uh, <laughs> go with the flow. And you don't even know what the flow is. I mean, you can't <laughs> describe the flow. And, and if you, you know what I'm trying to yeah. say? Yeah. yeah. If you've ever done anything creative, you just, yeah. you know, you're just on the ride, you know what I mean? It's almost like <laughs> surrendering yourself to it. It is, man. Yeah. And, and, and it takes courage. Yeah. If you do it well, it takes real courage. And not everybody is willing to do that because they want to do the lines well or 
I'm very sad today. Uh, I'm angry. Uh, that's not it. Uh, reality TV is more of a stunt. Yeah. Acting, a true craft of acting that you've studied, that's a whole other, uh, and it's not painless. Like, you know, you um, say your father dies and um, everybody is, you know, down their heads looking away and that, that, that. But as an actor, you're looking around at the funeral. <laughs> you may go touch the hand of a dead person because one day you may have to pay a son whose father just died. So you have to open yourself to things that the average person mm -hmm. yeah. closes themselves to. And that's the part nobody likes. They want to just pretend, oh, my father died. <sighs> no, if your father dies, sometimes the stillness of that pain is more uh, expressive than oh, being yeah. sad, yeah. you know? Now, you mentioned reality TV. I have a question for you in regards to, do you think that 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 reality TV today has kind of tainted the, the imaging of black people and the perception of black people, especially as you are an actor, and there are some reality TV stars who are actors as well, but do you think that it's hurt our industry, or yeah, there's a lot of money that's made, but has it has it really helped our industry in any way? <laughs> <laughs> I oh, think I know your response you're, already. <laughs> you're getting me in trouble again. <laughs> uh, well, Honestly speaking, I think it's a profitable business. Uh, I think it gives exposure to people who would never have exposure previously. But if you ask me, is there any craft to what they do? The answer is no. I mean, you know, you, you, you have sex with somebody and you put the video on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's craft in that. But, uh, <laughs> in some videos. In some videos. Uh, but we I'm won't not mention any today. Uh, I'm just, uh, I don't think that qualifies you as an yeah. actor uh, or an artist. I mean, yeah. I'm just being brutal. I'm just being honest. No, I mean, you know, it's something that people love shock and all. They just love. Uh, and <coughs> if you notice reality shows, there's always drama, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm these these dramatic moments that they and it's a lot of it's not reality a yeah. lot of it's scripted scripted yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. scripted so i'm not reality. sure where the reality comes in because yeah. the script is very obvious that it's because there are moments that you can see that people are kind of i don't know it's obvious yeah mm -hmm. so i mean does it hurt i think um Consciousness for us is a, it's gone down some notches. Uh, they're taking art out of the schools. Yeah. I, I don't. I mean, since when was music not as important as science? Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't get it. You know. Uh, I I, th I think that we're 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 pandering to something that I I'm, I'm, makes me a little nervous to be honest with you. Yeah. How do you see yourself and where you fit in that dynamic of what you want to see happen as opposed to what is happening? Because you are in a position of power, so to speak, because you've been working in the business for a while and have some level of ability to put things that are different out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, there are two things I would say from the traditional point of view of the studio system and or networks. Uh, I want to be able to 
within the scripts that I'm given to put some layer of another layer in it. And if I'm allowed to do that, then, you know, you lose some and you win some, but you've got something in there that really speaks of who you are as a person and as an artist. So you always try to do that. There are battles that occur, but you, you, you fight that and without making enemies if you can and to make it happen. From my production company side, um, I've created um, a documentary division, uh, and we call it edutainment. Entertain people, but deal with topics that are socially relevant. I just did last year a film called uh, Dark Girls, and uh, it was on OWN, and we were very fortunate to have it be a really big hit for Oprah and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. Very proud. It's one of the top ratings on that show. <laughs> yes. Or on the, on the, on the network, network, I should say. Yes, yes. sir. And uh, we're, we're going to do three, three, several more of them, you know. Uh, but to get it done, to be honest with you, me and my partner, Chan Berry, um, went around trying to get people to understand, investors put up dollars, and we ended up putting all of our own money into the documentary, um, put our own skin in the game, and um, it's not painless. Uh, but we're doing much better now. But to do the kinds of things we want to do, you, you, you have to take risks. And so I'm just going to keep going <laughs> and uh, try my best to get through my documentary company some things that I really want to talk about. Uh, not talking down to people, but give them different perspectives and ways of thinking about. Like, I have some issues. I don't want to be too long-winded about it, but <laughs> uh, one out of three black men in Washington, D.C. is HIV positive. Yeah. Of all the AIDS cases in America with women, 75% are black women. I just got a report from a friend of mine um, that works in a school system that he has uh, an elementary school. Uh, one girl, 12, one girl, 13, and 15 are pregnant. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, one out of four kids are dropping in our community are dropping out of high school before they graduate. Grandma is 32. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I could go on. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to be, you know, a cynic or pessimist. But I think... But it's the reality. Yeah. These issues have to be addressed. Yeah. The more we ignore them, uh, the worse it gets. And I'm not saying I'm going to solve the world's problems, but you can use media. It's a very powerful tool to give people a way to think about themselves. Inspire people. And inspire. Mm -hmm. And as you're picking subject matters, um, there's been several, like you mentioned, HIV, and we, of course, Dark Girls, which is unbelievable. Um, you had Prince Among Slaves and, and uh, Cover, uh, which dealt with Down Low Brothers. How do you go about selecting the topics that you want to communicate and get, get the messaging out to the masses? Well, uh, I don't look for suffering, but I see it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it hurts me. It, it, I mean... Very frustrating, you know. It's very, it's, it's a. Uh, you vote for. I'm, I used to be a Democrat, then I was so mad I became like a Republican, and I said, <laughs> no, I'm so mad at them. <laughs> and now I'm an independent. And I, and, I, and, and I vote for people, and they get in office, and what they're, what they're doing is being reelected. And I'm saying, <laughs> but wait a minute, that, that little, little kids down on Spring and Fifth that are going to garbage cans because they're homeless, I mean, I, they're still, they're still, getting garbage <laughs> yeah but 
So no, but the kids are still eating out of garbage cans down in Spring and Fifth. And that's what bothers me. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my passion for that is no longer anger. I'm not emotionally like into it. I have passion, but it's what can we do to bring attention to that issue mm-hmm. that is not condemnatory, but really breaks down in bites, bite-sized pieces what the issue is and what are the possible solutions. That's, that's the real key. The, yeah. ang- the anger is, you know, that's gets self-satisfying, but it doesn't change anything. In your documentary, Dark Girls, uh, you deal with a lot of self-esteem for dark women, darker-skinned women and colorism um, among the race. And we were talking, we have another show called This Week, and we were recently talking about President Obama. And some have criticized him and said that since he's been in office, that intra-racism is more relevant now and, and happening more and colorism is happening more. What are your viewpoints about that? Do you... You think that that's a true statement, or it's, or not just BS? Well, I think BS is a polite way of <laughs> putting it. Uh, uh, you know, if you do real research in terms of us as a people, um, in the fifties and sixties, there was in Harlem a club called the Snow and Blow Club. You know what that means? What does that mean? If your hair did not blow... Black people now. (laughs) If your hair did not blow in the wind and your skin was not lighter than a paper bag, you could not get into the club. Wow. Mm. It's called the Snow and Blow Club. Snow and Blow. I couldn't make it. (laughs) (laughs) I would be able to make it. it. Maybe. <laughs> you would make it. Never. never make it. <laughs> so what I'm saying is no one did that to us. That's doing it to ourselves. ourselves yeah. And this is a discomforting because we have the ability to the blame thing. We we have it down, man. It's like, oh I mean I, I was watching this documentary on Nancy Pelosi's door to me, this wonderful documentary about, you know, poverty, etc. in the United States, right? And she goes to like way out outside of Texas, I think, or, or Arkansas. And she talks about, um, she asks this, these guys with one tooth in their mouth, <laughs> sitting outside of a shack, saying, uh, what do you think about President Obama's health plan? I would never, I would never vote for him ever because he, he's a commie <laughs> and, and he's a social, socialist. He said, she said, well, what about, you know, the fact of the matter that, you know, I see you have some dental issues. (laughs) 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 And his health plan could, you know, help you get to a dentist. I'd rather die in my seat. Every time he comes on the TV, I just turn it off. I said, okay. So that's one thing. Then she goes to Harlem. I think it's Harlem, yeah. And she says to these, outside of the welfare office, the public assistance office, there are these whole line of black men in their 20s and 30s. And she's saying, what are you guys doing? He says, wait for my Obama check. Hmm. Well, why is that? Well, it's hard to find a job, you know? She said, well, it's interesting. I just walked around four or five square blocks and there's about 15 job possibilities. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, I, I want a career. Hmm. 
so she shows both aspects of things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like we're blaming something that I mean, who was it that said, uh, "Whatever you blame, you empower." I've heard that statement. I'm not That's sure who. Deep statement. That's a deep Whatever statement. you blame, you empower. And so instead of blaming, instead of us, I was in this church one time, and the minister, great service, he, say, he says, I got three questions I want to ask y'all. Everybody who want to go to heaven, stand up and sing hallelujah. People got up, man. They danced. <laughs> you know how we can do. Dance yeah. for like five <laughs> minutes, man. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Everybody want to die. Stand up and sing hallelujah. Nobody got up. So my third question. How in the name of God are you ever going to get to heaven if you don't die? Hmm. So as a people, many times, you want to go to heaven. <laughs> but don't nobody want to die. Right. You can't get to heaven unless you make the sacrifice That's of death. That's true. Mm-hmm. And so the problem is, is that we can blame slavery, racism. We can blame lynchings. We can blame, and all those things are atrocious atrocities. But Harriet Tubman didn't stop. Dr. King knew he was going to die. Yeah. He knew it. Yeah. Malcolm X knew he was, Megar Evers knew they were going to die. But there was something larger than their own personal, how can I say, uh, lives that they felt they had a cause. Somehow that's been lost. I don't know how it got lost, but now it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm out of the country and I'm looking at YouTube and I see, this, these kids, uh, with the new Jordans came out three years ago, mm-hmm. coming out of the store, knocking people down, and they licked the Jordan. Did you see that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am I missing something? That's a different focus. Yeah, I don't participate in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> love any <laughs> shoe that much. No, they licked the <laughs> they shoe. They licked the shoe, the yeah. Shoe. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying. No, this. no, but I mean, technically, them doing that is a sense of themselves being mean. It's a sense, a sense of greed, and it doesn't come from accomplishment. It comes from I got the freshest pair of kicks. Yeah, what are you gonna it's do? A, They're fresh out the box. It's the street. It's more of the street and mentality. More, yeah, it's you ain't got mentality. it. I have it. Yeah. Now, since you've been in the industry for, for the time that you have, and as a black filmmaker, do you think that things have gotten better in the sense of now we have successful movies, now we have, you know, Dark Girls, which is one of the highest rating ratings for OWN, and is it easier for a black filmmaker to get things greenlit in Hollywood at this point? I think there's a slight increase for this time. Let's see how it goes five years from now. It's like mm-hmm. pockets. No, there are pockets. There are moments, but an increasing trend. I would not say that's true. What the good news is, however, uh, that right now Amazon's looking for content yeah. and putting money up. Netflix is looking for content, putting money up. Google's looking for content. They about to get to put some money into things. So God bless Hollywood, you know what I'm saying? But there are opportunities that exist now that have not existed before. Mm-hmm. When I go, I went to Digital Hollywood this past year, a uh, few thousand people. Mm, maybe at the most 
30 black people and minorities at wow. the most. Women, maybe 100. That's, whose, whose fault is it? Yeah. Anybody can go, but we're not there. So then when it takes off, it's, well, they should have advertised it more. <laughs> they should have. But it's, it's, not, it's not their fault. I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I know people don't like me to say this, but we got to take responsibility for our own future and the future of our children. It's yeah. not somebody else's fault. Yeah, there was just a report. Uh, they were talking about Silicon Valley and how much money is still being made there, but the percentage of African Americans who are making money or starting things in Silicon Valley is still so like it's like one percent. Yeah, and that's crazy. You would think at this point, as you're talking about content, that there would be more doing more and 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 more opportunities that we would be presenting ourselves with, I guess, as you're saying, versus waiting for the opportunity. Well, but why do you guys think that, I mean, I'm just, at, I mean, because I'm not being condemnatory. Why is it? <laughs> because, I mean, I, I've, I think I, was, I don't know anymore. And I'm just, I'm asking the question in my films. It's not that the opportunities aren't there. We are complacent. And how did we get to that? That's what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Is yeah. it almost it's, to the point where people feel that, well, other people aren't doing it, so I'm not going to take the chance of moving forward. Or I don't know. I, 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 I... It's a fear of sacrifice. Fear of success, maybe. I don't know. And uh, responsibility. And responsibility that comes with that, yeah. You know, I have I've relatives in prison. And one of them was out one time. And, cause they, they, and for the last 35 years or 40 years, they're in get released out for a couple of years in okay. out for a few years in again so that's when one of my cousins I said hey man, tell me sit, I just, this, I'm not condemning you I said just tell me why do you keep going back yeah and I'll never forget this answer he said because I feel safer in there than I do out here wow that's crazy that's crazy <laughs> and scary that's, sad. that's really scary got my attention yeah you know what I'm saying it's yeah it says a lot. Now we have Oscar season that's approaching. And Oscar, Oscar who? <laughs> right, that's right, right, right. And we have several films that are being talked about this particular time around. We got The Butler, we got Fruitville Station, we have Twelve Years a Slave. And uh, do you think that with all this hype around these films that they'll be recognized at the for the nominations? If they're not, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> uh, they're calling this the Black Oscar Year, the real Black Oscar Year is what they're saying. Whatever that means. <laughs> Whatever that really means. To even say that, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It, no. it, it, it's an insult. It is. Uh, but do I welcome the fact that these films are being recognized? Yes. Do I think that there's great work that's been done in these films? Yes. My hope, and I guess it's a, it's a naive hope, that because of the financial success of these pictures and because of the quality of the films that have been made, that it will inspire studios and or networks or online entities to begin to see the value mm -hmm. of creating content that is more representative of the entire nation, the yeah. entire world, and that we get a voice. And, and another thing I would say is I, I think that 
you know, I was in a I was in a conference once, and 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 this European distributor asked the question, and he said, um, "I'm not trying to be insulting, but why is it that black producers and directors and writers only create black films?" I said, "Because I know a lot of people I know, uh, they." create films with all kinds of other races and topics and stuff. We have Tim Story, you know, I mean, there's Spike Lee. I mean, that's, you know, we can name several. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he was puzzled because he said that he felt that we should expand our awareness and expand our attention because we need to address, if we're talking about the problem, right, then we should at least point to some of the causes some of the problems that we have rather than just being very internal about it. That was an interesting conversation. Mm. What's been your biggest challenge as a director? Getting out of the box. Mm. Not with a glass, but a platinum ceiling. (laughs) I I directed a a film years ago for Disney called The Cemetery Club. Mm -hmm. Ellen Burstyn, you know, Mm -hmm. Olympia Dukakis, Diane Ladd, right? Had a wonderful time. I loved that film. Um, and um, it's a true story. Took the film on the road for the promotional tour. You went to ma- major cities. Um, first question I was asked, hey, well, we liked your film. Why, why, why is a black director writing, I mean, directing a film about all white women? Wow, that was a question. That was the first question I was asked most of the time. Huh. And how did you respond to that? Well, my response was, well, you know, um, a film came out a few years ago called The Color Purple. <laughs> and a guy named Steven Spielberg okay. directed that. Okay. He don't look like me. And guess what the, guess what the response was? That's different. Huh. And why is that different? <laughs> See, if I go into that... <laughs> we'll be here for... A, then we have to do a part two to this interview. If I had gone into that with, with him at that time, something physical might have <laughs> Right. But I just, I just said, okay, I left it alone. Yeah. But I'm just telling you the kinds of... Now, you said this was your favorite film to work on. What was it about it that was... Which one? The, the, um, Cemetery Club. Cemetery Club. That was my favorite film. I'm saying it was a film that I really enjoyed working on because it was about how do you handle loss. It was a human story of women who loved their husbands, and all three of them lost their husbands in a period of a few years. And they created this club of what do you do with your life after you you, you lose your life love. And it was very human. I loved it because it was beautifully written. It had been a play on Broadway. And we translated it into a feature film. And working with the actors who are brilliant, brilliant actresses, um, it, it was it was a great experience. Yeah. What's been your favorite film to direct, and then what's been your favorite film to act in as well? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, I'm sure this is tough with your resume. <laughs> <laughs> Extensive. Extensive. I really love Deep Cover. What was it about Deep Cover? Because you work with Lawrence Fishburne several times. Yes. But Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum found, they found, we all found something in that movie, you know. We found something that was, it was about something we all believed in. So mm-hmm. that, that, that was a good, good experience. And that's the first time that Dr. J and um, 
Snoop Dogg ever had any music in a movie mm-hmm. uh, for the song that they put in it. 187 and an undercover that, cop. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> it's in my head right now. That's right, that's right, that's right. And so the experience was a great experience for all of us, you know, and um, we all worked well together. Hoodlum, uh, an historical drama, was great for me in the sense that um, Lawrence Fishburne again, but uh, Cicely Tyson, Vanessa Williams, uh, Clarence Williams III, one of my favorite actors ever. Uh, the And the script was about a real person who actually existed, who the mob tried t- to kill him numerous times, and in his old age, he ended up dying in a chicken place I have a heart attack falling in a plate of chicken. <laughs> and when he, the funeral, the very people that tried to kill him, they had such respect for him, there were lines of mafia cars around the church, around the block, mm. trying to get in to pay the respects for him. Mm. True story. Mm. And Cecily Tyson, who played uh, the madam there, shoe lady who... She was gangster all the way, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 she was a, she ran she ran the she ran the numbers business, business in Harlem. Yeah, and they came up against her, and and Bumpy Johnson was her protector. And I just love the fact that a black man, black woman came together and went up against the mob, and it's a real story. I just loved it. And how was uh, also working uh, one of my favorite films, *The Rage in Harlem*. You you, it was, <laughs> it was just was on fun. the other it day. Was fun. It was fun. Man. <laughs> that a great cast too. It was fun. Force Whitaker and you know it was like Robin Givens and uh, Baja Jola and uh, um, um, Hines um, Gregory Hines Gregory Hines and Danny Glover and serious cast yeah it was serious cast but we were in Cincinnati Ohio and um, not me but there are certain people who can never go back <laughs> because <laughs> a little wild. And who was that? I'm not saying. I, I tell you, I can't say. <laughs> they can't go back to Cincinnati. That's too much of a good time. <laughs> that's a good time. <laughs> and that's a very conservative city. No, it's no. very conservative. City. Very conservative. Very conservative city. Now it's, we've been talking about a lot of subjects as well. Um, the sub- blackface has been in the headlines as of late, especially with Halloween. And we would have never imagined that in 2013 we still have to talk about this subject. But when you were looking in the headlines, and I'm sure you've been paying attention to the costumes and the comments about the blackface and people dressing up like this particular thing, what did you think about that? Well, I see it from two perspectives. One is... Since, since President Obama is in, in office, for many people, black and white is considered that racism is over. Mm-hmm. There is, he could not be president if a good portion of white America did not vote for him. So that proves that racism no longer exists. If you're a black person, particularly a young black man, now, it's ironic you should ask that question because Last night, I have uh, in my company a lot of young people, and one of the young black men, Michael, uh, five days ago, he is, uh, it's like 8.30 in the evening, and he has two young ladies that he's going to go to a party with, and he's got to go to Target to pick something out. He gets out of his car, 
walking to the Target store. A police car pulls in front of him and asks him where he's going. He says, I'm going to the Target. Well, you, who are those people in the back of your car? I mean, it was like 30 minutes. Stop and frisk. <laughs> 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, right? And he tells the story in a light way, but you can tell he was very hurt by it. Yeah. Because there's nothing he could do. Literally, if he had protested, it might have gone to something not not good. Mm-hmm. And I look around and I see a kid killed in the gym. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah. In, in Georgia. Yeah. yeah. Um, forget Trayvon Martin, all the other young boys that are being. And to think that this is meaningless and to think that you can put blackface on which in the South make fun of us. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, Amos and Andy, the original Amos and Andes, were, were white men that put black faced, black paint on their face and, and talk with accent like this. Yeah. yeah, Andy. It was offensive because they made us comedy, buffoons. And I think that a lot of people that do it don't don't understand the history. Right. They think it's funny. Right. But it's not funny to me. There are people who sacrifice their lives so that we are able to be here today. And that sacrifice their lives so that wouldn't exist anymore. And to erase that and to say, well, you know, that's the past and now we're all cool, you know, denies the truth of our reality. Yeah. And I will not accept that. And so, how <clears throat> can I put it? <laughs> it shouldn't do it in front of me. Stop it. <laughs> I'll be on YouTube. <laughs> you come down the street with blackface in front of me and say, Happy Halloween. <laughs> Get a five-finger slap. <laughs> not, not, not with the front of the hand. No. The back of the hand. Bam! <laughs> <laughs> now, no one wants to say, Racism is mobile. Racism is now, you also mentor a lot of young actors and, and uh, really help them with their careers. Is that something that you always wanted to do as you were obtaining your success as well? Well, uh, I felt the pain that I went through when I see the devastation that occurs. You know, uh, I see young kids come out here, you know, all the time, get off the bus. They want to be actors and directors and producers, you know, and they have this passion and this dream. Know nothing about the business. It's a it's called show business. It should be called business show actually. Right. And once you are understanding the business of it, your approach is a little little different, you know. And, and so I try my best to win these workshops from time to time when my schedule allows. Mm-hmm. Going back maybe twenty years, uh, my good friend Carl Gilliard helps me organize and everything, and we have these ten to twelve week sessions, and we we we. But the first hour of the class, we bring in experts from around, sometimes the country, sometimes around the industry, to talk about gaming, to talk about you know production, to talk about agencies and all the whole, all the business of it. Mm-hmm. Then the last half of the class for two hours is acting technique. But it's a way of giving back because I think uh, I've seen friends of mine's kids come out here and uh, in two years, man, after the pounding of rejection. They're not the same. It takes its toll sometimes on, on and people. And then, you know, the Lindsay Lohans of the world, I mean, people put that, but, you know, I'll be honest with you, with their place in my heart, I feel sorry for them. Yeah. 
because it's like, okay, they're going to hit film or two, right? Well, I'm on my way. No, you're in a box, and that rejection, if you don't have something to fill that pain or deal with that pain, you're going to drink to kill it, or you're going to drug to kill it or something. So... <coughs> It's a, it's it's always a challenging subject too because I think a lot of people come out here and they think that it's a lot easier than what it really is. You know, it, it, TV glamorizes everything. Reality TV, reality, <coughs> reality TV glamorizes everything. My a friend of mine wrote a play called "Ain't No Love in Hollywood." <laughs> and then when I first came out here, a buddy, I said, well, "How's it out here, man?" He was love for two years. He said, "Man, here's the main thing you're gonna learn: it can be really cold in the sun." Mm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> now you're working on a couple new projects. You have Black Diamonds, the evolution of black and baseball, Yellow Girls, and what is a man and what is a woman. What can your fans expect from those projects? <clears throat> They're similar to, to Dark Girls in terms of their intent to bring an awareness, you know, to some topics. Um, what is a man? One of the elements it's based upon is if you go on YouTube tonight and look under 29, 21, 11, black man, you'll see a 29-year-old black man with 21 children from 11 different women. <laughs> yeah. You know about this, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, am I missing something? Uh, <laughs> I mean, and he takes care of none of them? Yeah. Uh, that has to be questioned because a lot of our manhood is based upon, I got two or three kids, man, you know. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're not eating. Uh, there's no father in the house. Mm -hmm. the, you know, it's, uh, I'm just, we're just trying to bring an awareness, not put nobody down, but saying, just look at this, look at, just look at these things, you know? And so we're, we're dealing with that. Um, what is a woman? Somebody had to lie down with them. <laughs> That's somebody would love very low self-esteem. I, I mean, lie down with them, right? Yeah. Yep. So we want to ask her, um, let me ask you a question. <laughs> uh, aren't there some other options? <laughs> um, and uh, Yellow Gals is about, we did dark girls because we dealt with the issues that dark-skinned women have in terms of colorism, et cetera. Yeah. Light-skinned women are, it's amazing. Um, we deal a little bit of in dark girls where this one girl talks about the fact that these light-skinned girls in elementary school used to go in the bathroom, right? And um, the dark-skinned girls used to, to get around her and hold her down and put nair and stuff in their hair to, to, to let the hair fall wow. out. Wow. Because, and he said, why? Because, well, we think she thinks she's too cute. <laughs> and, and, then, and then some of the women we're, we're, we're interviewing now, they talk about the names they've been called. Uh, they've been beaten. Uh, not because they've done anything, because their skin is light. And then others talk about the fact that they feel they're trophies. In other words, mm. whether it's athletes or people who are famous that are black males, that I want one of, and they, the Shia says, they, they want one of those. <laughs> one of those. Yeah, they don't know who they are really, but I want one of those. Yeah. And it's the perception. Yeah, and then when that wears out, I want another one of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they feel like trophies are objectified. It's a very interesting topic. And is there anything in your career that you possibly want to do at this point? I mean, you've done so <laughs> many different things. <laughs> anything I don't, different? Is there anything <laughs> different? That, is it possible? Is there anything left that you want to experience in your career still? New media. Uh, <laughs> no, definitely, new, definitely new media. <laughs> I want to get deeper into that. And I want to... Uh, <clears throat> 
have a couple of feature film ideas that are global in perspective. In other words, they're going to be shot in maybe three or four different countries. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I want to I I I get more into that you know, arena. But new media is so exciting to me. I mean, really, cell phone. I mean, I, I, I keep exploring it. And, um, but so the cell phone app business, to, to reach large numbers of people with one message and one idea, and if they don't have a TV and they don't have a computer, you can reach them with this device and finding the language of it. And one of the things that, um, you know, um, Zynga was talking about is they're still trying to find it. Yeah. They, well, they have the money to do it, but uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. But the thing is, is that they're, they're, they're still experimenting and working on it. What is the, not only games, but what are the, what's the programming? Yeah. I'm trying to do the same thing. And if you had one word to define you and your career, what would it be? You like quotes? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'll give you three that I think, um, well, they define me, but they define my thinking. One, um, Winston Churchill. True power is an individual's ability to move from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Number two from Anonymous. Aspire to inspire before you expire. Mm -hmm. I love that. And last but not least from Anonymous. In your lifetime, you will never see a smaller package than a person wrapped up in themselves. Oh, I love that one. I think we That's just found great. our new BHL t-shirts. <laughs> That's a great one. Where can your fans find out more about your films and find you on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook? Websites. Websites. Facebook, uh, I'm there, and Twitter. Um, we're putting a new program together. <clears throat> Garrett Morris and I are putting a program called True Dat. It's going to be a variety show. It's going to be a mix of The Daily Show and a variety show put together, a lot of street interviews and those kinds of things. And so we're the, the uh, online uh, portal for that will be up in, I think, maybe three weeks. Okay, cool. And then the program itself will be up in, I think, 90 days, right after the first of the year. And so, you know, we're looking for, you know, supporters for that and the whole thing. And, but, um, and, and, we're, and I don't know if you've ever been over there, but in I think Playa del Rey, the YouTube campus, mm-hmm. You've been there? Yes. Is that incredible? That's insane. And they're letting people shoot there and everything now. Like, it's cool. If you have 10,000 eyeballs, right? State-of-the-art soundstage, state-of-the-art production, post-production facilities, red cameras, lights, and the broadcast ability to broadcast to a couple of different nations and cities in this out-of-the-soundstage for free. Hmm. And they're giving classes every it's Fridays, every th- I'm not sure when yeah, the schedule yeah. is, but yeah. I know it's like weekly. Free classes. Free classes. To, to t- teach you how to leverage, like what you're doing here, mm-hmm. to leverage it globally. Mm. And, and that was, I, we took our team over there twice, and we're learning how to really utilize that. Really utilize it. And do you tweet? Are you a, uh, you're, you're a tweeter? I have things twitted. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> See, I'm down there because I'm really busy, you know, but I have people that I work with <laughs> and keep it going for me and those kinds of things, you know. 
Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Jesse, where can your fans find you? At DJ Jesse J. Courtney? At Stuart Starlet. And you can find me at Dario Kristen on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you, Mr. Duke, for joining us. I feel super enlightened yes, right now. And I want to steal Thank some you. of those quotes. Yeah. So when they yeah. show up on a t-shirt, we'll split the profit. You got it. And I'll say one fast thing. Go Heat. Sorry. <laughs> Go Heat. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live Portraits. We'll see you next time. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Dario Kristen, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. If you have questions or comments, tweet us at BHL Online or email us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. For more exclusive content, visit blackhollywoodlive.com. This has been a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.